At this point in our liturgy, we have the opportunity for a homily, which is a a chance for the preacher to reflect on the scripture and how it can be um, made accessible to us in this day and age and in our common life. Because we're doing an instructed Eucharist, I'm not doing a homily. Each of these little points of instruction are taking that place. So following the homily, we unify our voices again and we make a confession of faith in the Nicene Creed. This is one of the earliest creeds of the church done at the Council of Nicaea in the 300s. And so these words that we say on any given Sunday have been said by the church for centuries. And after we make a confession of our faith, we confess our sins. Throughout the time of the church, it's been understood that a confession of our sins is one of the ways we prepare ourselves to receive what God has to offer us in the Eucharist, which we'll do in a little bit. And so for a long time, practice of confession was a private affair. And people made a point of meeting with the priest prior to worship to confess their sins in order that they might be cleansed and prepared and made worthy to receive the Eucharist. Throughout the practice of that, it fell into an abusive practice. And it was around the time of the Reformation that a general confession done in a corporate setting came into our worship practice. When private confession was made and people voiced specific wrongs they had done, the priest often gave them a practice that they could go and do to remind them of the wrongs they had done and to try to make them right. But sometimes those tasks involved travel, or could be risky, or just time-consuming. And so the church made it available that people could just give money to the church and consider it all done. (laughs) That's when it became abused. (laughs) And so in the Reformation, a general confession was placed in the time of our corporate worship so that we might make a confession together and through that be prepared to receive the Holy Communion. This general confession does give us the opportunity to confess our individual sins, but it also gives us the opportunity to recognize the sins that we do collectively, something that was missing from private confession. We recognize as we say these words together that we can talk each other into wrongdoings and that some of those things are things that we've done or that we've not done corporately, ways that we have sinned against God through our actions and ways we've sinned against God through our inaction. So one of the benefits of a corporate confession is that it gives us the chance to remember and to recognize the wrongs that we do as a body, a collective unit, as well as an opportunity to remember the wrongs we've done as individuals. And through the confession, we are given the chance to lay all of those burdens down, those wrongs that we have done, and to hear God's absolution of us, absolving us of our sins, so that we might be made worthy to come and to receive the sacrament of Holy Communion. Now, during this Easter season, we remember that we are forgiven people in the resurrection of Jesus. And so there is an option to not include the confession in our corporate worship. But the church leaders have given some very careful language around that. You can remove the confession, they say, but you probably shouldn't. So I've chosen to leave it in during our corporate worship during this Easter season, but I did want us to remember that we are forgiven people. And so we come to confess our sins because that is something we continue to do. It's impossible for us to not sin against God 
and we come and confess that reality. But we do so knowing the promise of forgiveness. And so during this Easter season, I've chosen to incorporate a passage of scripture from the, Paul's letter to the Ephesians that reminds us that we are forgiven people. And so as we prepare for a confession, we know that, we are being, that God is already forgiving us, drawing us closer to God through our recognition of who we are and our reliance on God for our holy living. So please stand as we confess our faith in saying together the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. <laughs> 